negotiation expert i am when you say two billion in projects i know your family builds a, a lot of um you know skyscraper kind of things uh really more industrial settings water treatment plants wastewater treatment plants really yeah that's that's the big stuff wow you know, keep, how, how, do you, how long does it take to get a job like that i mean like if you're going to do a deal and you're going to bid for it i mean you're talking years well you it's not going to be years to bid I mean, the construction's going to be years to do. But, like, if, if <laughs> well, pre-construction goes on for years. Who does these projects, these, the, these big and mega projects? The, like, the, city, the city doesn't. The city of New York doesn't. And they come to you and they request proposals, right? The city of New York goes to engineers, does a pre-construction. And then once the drawings and the specs have been finalized, it goes out to bid. It's like how many people are bidding on a contract? At those levels, mm. um, maybe four. And so you have to spend all this time and energy building up your bid. Like, there's a workload. The estimating department does, yeah. There's a massive workload. They have to go through all the drawings, all the specs, mm -hmm. price it out, make sure we can, we can buy and deliver what they're asking for, come up with an accurate price that we can make money on, and then uh, give it your best shot. So if you do a project for, like, say, $200 million, yeah. and, and in your role, what do you guys make? What's your, like, your cut? Um, our margins could be anywhere between thirty percent and greater. On the whole project? Yeah. You do a two hundred million dollar project? Yep. They write a check for two hundred million and you guys can make sixty million doing it? Correct. They write the contract value is two hundred million, let's say, hypothetically. Mm -hmm. And in in the two hundred million dollar bid that we gave them, my overhead and profit is baked into that cost. Right? So if if it's a two hundred million dollar project I'm, I'm trying to build it for 130 million really yeah you guys know that i didn't know that yeah that's how it works they're not gonna they don't write me a check for for my overhead and profit they only do that on change orders so i always thought like you, the contractors only got like a couple percent listen the margins how are, they made me money the margins are razor thin here's the thing with a contract how are the raisin, margins razor thin if you're getting 60 million on 200 million? you have to be good bro your, your special sauce as a contractor is your estimating, and it's the deals and negotiations you can make with subcontractors and suppliers that are going to make you money. You have to know how to negotiate price from your subcontractors and squeeze them as hard as you can to get your margin. That is how that, that's how the game works. For those of you who are watching, tuning in, we're in with Marshall Wilkinson. Did I say that right? Wilkinson, yeah. yeah. Wilkinson. I've called you the How wrong you? last name for like years. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Wilkerson. Wilkerson. I think you I Wilkinson. think you vacillate. You go from a Wilkinson to a Wilkerson type deal, I think. I, I, I don't know why. Can't I just say Marshall? I mean, why do I have to say your whole name? I always do that. I gotta say the whole name. Yeah. Marshall. Yeah, Marshall Wilkinson. Well, you know why? Because I think my social media has my full name, Marshall, real Marshall Wilkinson. Yeah. That might be the reason. You might have more energy than anyone I've ever met. I mean, usually I have the most energy, but I think you have more. Thank you. And uh, so you've done about $2 billion in projects. Over. Over $2 billion. Yeah, over. I mean, I, I'm, I, that's the low end. Because the, the reason why I keep it there is because the numbers are outrageous. People look at you and they go, what? My first job was $300 million to get base in CSO. And my main job was there was to mitigate the risk on the contract. I'm negotiating 
with contractors and subs. I mean, the, and, and schedule and time, the whole. On a $200 million project, yeah. what do you get up front? Uh, well, you, 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 have to give the, you have to give the owner something called a schedule of values. Schedule of values is a line item with a dollar representative of that particular line item. Mm-hmm. And then you get paid partial payments based on the work that you perform that month. It's called a requisition. It's called a partial payment. So, you know, what the, the kind of the dance that we're in is a construction manager or an owner's rep and me as a contractor, I'm trying to front load my schedule of values. I want a lot of money on mobilization. I want my money now for my general liability, my bond. I have to pay all that stuff now, right? Wow. I don't want them to, to hold me out. So he also doesn't want to pay it all up front. He wants to stretch you out. He wants to stretch me out so he knows I'm going to come back and finish the job, right? So, uh, you know, you, you got to negotiate with them. <clears throat> so you're doing a $200 million project, $300 million project. What percentage do you need in cash up front? Or are you able to go to a no. bank and say, I got a contract? Construction is all, is all credit. It's cash flow and credit. So the money that you make on projects to have a healthy company, here's how it typically works. These are family companies before the multinationals came in. These are family companies who's was started from a guy who was in the field working with his tools, started making some money, never spent it, created a war chest. You need a war chest in this game. So are you the equivalent of an Acom Tishman? No, no. Acom Tishman, first of all, Acom is a, is a design engineering company. And they, I don't know if it, I, I guess they bought Tishman because Acom's a monster. And Tishman mm-hmm. is a developer. So, so are you the equivalent of Tishman? Um, yeah, Tishman, uh, but we, but I focus. We would focus on more of the extremely highly complex uh, commercial and industrial applications, which most most guys can't bid on and don't want to do. You know, big work. So you're like a Fleur Daniel. Yeah, sure. Or maybe a Jacobs Engineering. Well, Jacobs, Jacobs is an engineering company, so we we don't do engineering. We're installers. We're we're contractors. Okay, so, so you're actually like putting the pipe down. Absolutely, you're digging the hole. I mean, we, I mean, uh, on Long Island, we're the largest by mm. far. Uh, in New York City, the city of New York, we're probably number two as far as uh, contract volume. Wow, on that work. And you started young. Well, I mean, I've 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 heard the business every day at the kitchen table, you know, from my from my father. So it's it's the it's really the only thing I kind of know. Hmm. You ever seen those shows on New York about the mafia and construction and cement? Yeah, sure. How, how related to you were that? Were that kind of stuff? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean I that's saw stuff that stuff about st- cement companies were owned by the mafia. Yeah, concrete. Concrete, right. Yeah. Uh, why, yeah. Why'd they get the, com- the concrete contracts? Well, I mean, back in the 70s, there was massive collusion. I mean, that's how they got pinched. Look, it, when a public bid comes out for a, a $400 million job, there's only a few companies that are capitalized to do that work, perform mm. that work, right? So, and you know each other, you know? And so in the concrete world, it was very similar. And so they'd say, okay, well, this contract's coming out. You get to bid it this time. So we'll all bid it. We know what the numbers are, but you'll, you'll win this one. You'll be low bidder. And then they would just pass it around. Hmm. You know, that, that's highly illegal, and it, I don't, it doesn't occur anymore. Doesn't occur anymore? No, no, no. Not anymore. Well. 
No, the, 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 the construction value numbers are astronomical. It just doesn't work like that anymore. It's, if you're going to be a Hunter Roberts, a Turner, an AECOM Tishman, an Eldor Contracting, an EJ Electric, if you're going to be those guys and, and, and players like that in that city, you're corporate. You run that game corporate. Mm. There's so much risk you have to mitigate. I'm pretty fascinated with what you do. I think that people that build stuff actually make things. Yeah. And you've done that for such a long time. Yeah. Like, I don't, you know, I guess I invest, and I have invested in companies like patient safety and things, but they're more, like, technology-based. We don't really make much. I mean, we did make sponges, but we had a contractor make them. You make, you make stuff. Right. I mean, you, you create things where there is nothing. Correct. Yeah, and I and it's such a coordinated effort. I, I always I used to say this a long time ago. I was in I was in Los Angeles one time, and I thought, how does a building ever get built? Because when I was starting my company, I couldn't coordinate people. I could barely get them to do what I needed them to do. I'm like, yeah. I used to say, how does a building ever get built if I have people like yourself? Working here, who works there to get a building done? Like, yeah. how do you coordinate getting something from zero to completely done that people live in? How is that possible? Yeah. And you do that shit. That's I mean, right. it's amazing. Yeah. It's a, an extremely dynamic thing. I mean, you build complicated stuff, too. Very. That's our niche. So, like, let's say I wanted to be a contractor like you. I wanted to do what you were doing. Yeah. Uh, and I wanted to do $100 million projects. Yeah. What kind of cash do I need? You need a lot. You're going to need, you probably need half in reserves. I need $50 million I would to do $100 so. million dollar contracts. Yeah, because you can't just do one. You can't just do $100 million job. I mean, you have to have multiple contracts going at a time. You need the cash flow. What happens if that job slows up on you? Cash crunch. They don't pay you. You get delayed. Change order, redesign. You're finished. And you're paying points on the money. So, I mean, the way to diversify. No, but if I had equity, I have cash right now. I have 100 in, uh, I could call it 20 million plus securities cash. About 100, maybe 20 million in cash. Yeah. I could just take 50 million, set it aside, and become a, a developer? Well, a developer and a contractor are two different things. A developer is a person who takes a risk to build an asset. And they hire teams of people to build the asset for them. So then I would hire you. Yes. Because you're a, you're a contractor. Correct. Okay, so I don't want to be a con. Well, do I want to be a developer or a contractor? Well, it depends on on on. It, it depends. I would say be a developer. That's easier. The, to be a contractor, like I said, you have to know what you're doing. The secret sauce is in the estimate. You got to be able to build the thing. <laughs> you know. Uh, can you get the point? And you guys know it, I don't know what I'm doing <laughs> here. Right? It's it's extremely uh, you know management intense. I mean, you have to work. You have to be a great manager in the game. Hmm. To get everything you can get out of your project executives, project managers, superintendents, and foremen. So if I wanted to be a developer, I'd, I'd get a contractor I trusted? Well, no. Well, yeah. I mean, you, you should. The way it works is you'd be a developer and you'd, you'd, you have an idea. You'd go to an architect and an engineer and you'd come up with drawings. And you'd probably hire an owner's representative or a construction managing firm to manage the construction. And they would put that drawing and, and bid set out to bid. And you would probably be divorced from, you know, choosing the contractor. 
It's an typically a representative. Bit, That's kind of. Yeah. I do business with Aaron Schock, a congressman. Okay. A former congressman, and he uh, he's a business uh, uh, an owner's rep. He, yeah, owners reps and construction managers are the guys that I you know tango with. You tango with because yeah. you're the guy making the stuff. Yeah, exactly. And they're trying to jam me down hard. Hmm. Typically, on these you know on these deals. So as an owner's rep is uh, a. If I'm the owner and I have a rep, then being the owner, you could be. Is that lucrative? Being an owner's rep? No, being an owner. Like could that like is a margin? If your margins. Well, it depends on your long term, you know, game plan. Because if you're going to build a hotel, let's say, you're. I mean, the money spent, and you're not going to recoup it on day one. I mean, it's a longer term well, play a long for you. Time, right? I get my money now. I build this thing. You pay me goodbye. Right. Yeah. You you have a totally different play. Right. So you're the guy who actually builds the stuff. Build it, yeah. We negotiate the deal. So you have to hire a lot of people, then, right? Subcontractors. Well, it depends. Yeah, I mean, if we're gonna bid, if we're gonna bid uh, as a prime, then we'll just self-perform our work. Okay, so you have general contracting and you have different trades, right? So our last company was an electrical contractor, and so I would I would do the electrical work. Oh, got it. Okay. Now, if I was going to take on So you on were a somebody, sub to someone else then? Well, no. I wasn't a sub. I mean, in many scenarios, I was when I went after other work. We have been subs before. Mm. But on the big projects, I'm a prime contract holder. So if I'm going to do a big job, I'm not going to sign a subcontract agreement. Because you may not get paid the yeah, way you Yeah, and I want paid. my rights to remedy with the owner. I don't want, I don't want you to be a middleman and, and you be the conduit. That's where you put on a lien, and then if you don't have the rights with the yeah, owner, you, put a, you put a lien, on. a mechanics lien on, and then hope you get paid. And right? that, well, the general contractor and his his contract would have to spring that lien. Hmm. If I put a gen, if I put a mechanics lien on a on a on a on a site right now on a job, mm-hmm. especially a public job, the job comes to a halt. It's public funds. It's in trust. It's called trust funds. Hmm. Yeah, so that job is finished because that 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 general contractor has a, has a contract with the owner that states any of his subcontractors and material material men is what it's called mm. liens he has to he has to discharge immediately because we can suffocate a job, but it, it is our only right to protect ourselves in that world. Do you have to do that that often? Yes, I've leaned a lot of people. In my time and the job shut down. Yeah. And they ultimately pay you? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> they have to. What a, what a, so you really have to manage cash flow then? Uh, without a doubt. I mean, the root word of contractor is contract. And then the next portion of that is going to be uh, finance. The construction of the asset is, is secondary. It's tertiary. Because with union labor, these guys know what they're doing. You put the labor in place, and it, and it gets done as long as you have strong project But if managers. you're an electric contractor, do you have hundreds of electricians that work for you then? Yes, we did, yes. We're, we're a player. And you got them from the union? Yes. I got it. So like what my dad was a union roofer, and he was employed by Owens Roofing. Okay. But when Owens didn't have work, he just went to the union hall, and yeah. other places hired he him. He goes back to the bench. It's called going back to the bench, right? And then the union hall will send you out. That's what you pay due. You pay dues for that to keep you working. Got it. Yeah. All right. Yeah. I may seem like I don't know what I'm talking about there because I don't. Yeah. Well, it's, I mean, it, I didn't spend my. It's dad, a different world. My dad spent the one thing I will say about the union for my dad. My dad spent 35 years being a roofer. 
commercial roofer. Almost died because tar spilt on him. He was in the hospital, the burn unit, for wow. months. Wow. But he never made more than $35,000 a year. Now, this is from the 70s through the 90s, right? Yeah. He retired at 55, and he retired on like eight grand a month. Yeah. Now, like, how's my dad, who never made more than $35,000, have $8,000 a month of retirement, yeah. give or take. Right. And in that regard, I felt like it really did serve my dad well. For sure. And it's made his life pretty good. Yeah. yeah. Of course, now he has Alzheimer's and doesn't know where he lives. Yeah. But, you know, he's 70-something years old, and he was able to retire at 55 and, and live on a nice uh, pension, which is just wonderful. You're all union, right, back there? Yeah. Yeah. The union is great for that. It takes care of the people on the back end. And in the electrical union, it takes care of the people on the front end as well. These guys make a lot of money. So when did you get into the negotiation side? I've seen and, and taken some of your sales stuff. And one of the reasons I invited you on the show is because I think you probably are amongst the best I've ever seen at it. You, you really understand it. I think people would be fascinated to learn how you do it. I mean, I'm just, I'm, I'm blown away by it. And I see it all the time. You kind of bring a game every day when I see you on, when I see you live, the way you communicate, you're a fast thinker. Thank you. I'm almost arguing you, you, you must have a pretty damn high IQ. We don't have to get into that, but you yeah. must have one. Cause I see your responses. You're a, you're a fast thinker. Um, but when did you like, okay, I, well, I know I'm good at sales. I know I'm good at negotiation. Um, that came that came probably on that project at Paddock Basin. Mm. So th so I did a lot of projects prior to that. That's kind of like playing in the NFL. Mm. That that deal was. What what kind of construction was it? So that it, it's uh it's called Paddock Basin CSO. CSO stands for Combined Sewer Overflow. So in, in New York City, the sewer system's all interconnected, meaning the the runoff, the rain runoff, water runoff in the in the street will also mix with the sanitary. Wow. So it's a combined sewer. Mm. And when you have big rain events, uh, the wastewater treatment plant sometimes gets backed up and couldn't take it. So in order to relieve the system, you'd have outfalls. And so you'd have, you'd have raw sewage pouring into Jamaica Bay in, in Brooklyn. You have to, otherwise you're going to compromise the system. So what the city of New York decided to do was build a combined sewer overflow facility. Underground, gigantic tanks that would then take all of that over overflow and then when when the load was reduced at the wastewater treatment plant we would then pump that sewage over to them so that, for treatment so it would no longer fall and spill into jamaica bay in an outflow. how much could you hold before you had to do that oh huge i forget the number now i forget the number but it's massive i'm, I'm massive underground tanks massive i mean that the the concrete for the underground portion is the 4b contract and and that's not even the three hundred million dollar deal was the was everything else. What's the four B? You mean four billion? It, no, it was called the contract was called four B. I came in on the contract five. So those are just the names of the contracts mm. by the city. So you know the five contract was was three hundred million bucks. The four contract was a total different deal, and that was that was just before I got in there. Wow. Yeah. So that's a that was a massive job, and in in there that's really where I was able to shine. I knew I had a tiger by the tail, and it was like it was game on. And you built a uh, an overflow facility. Wow! Yeah, it's a it's a facility. It's 
it's tremendous. Hmm. And that's where you learned. You, you I mean, that's where I know I, I was doing it prior. I mean, that's really where I got to shine. And I recognized, wait a minute here. You know, I could play at this game. That was that was it there hmm. that I broke out there. That was my breakout. I was doing construction in the same capacity on a much smaller level prior to that. Hmm. But there's when did you out. start coaching people? Like, I mean, I know you only individually coach. But when did you start helping people that uh, way? Yeah, um, just probably maybe under two years, two years maybe. Really? Yeah. It's fairly new. All the stuff you're doing is only under two years old? Yeah. It's fairly new. What pushed you to do it? Um, you I can't g- say COVID because you were doing it before. No, no, COVID. yeah, no, no one COVID. It was. Uh, Although when I first met you, you were kind of doing it. I saw your stuff. But you weren't, you weren't yeah. as sophisticated as you You're are right. now. You're definitely kinda, more sophisticated. So it came organically. Like, so the, how this all started is I'd be in my office negotiating contracts, and I'd have my phone live. And I just wanted to show the world who I was. I thought this stuff that, that we were doing was amazing, but it's always behind closed doors. When you drive on a highway and you look at an oil and gas facility or a water treatment plant, you don't think about it. But there's a lot that went into that. And I was extremely proud of what we were doing. I wanted the world to know that you don't have to be Goldman Sachs. You can be in the construction game and still be an absolute killer. Hmm. And, I, and, I, and I said, well, now's my time. And then from that, people reached out to me and said, hey, man, can you teach me how to do this stuff? I like you. And, and then it started organically like that. And did your dad retire? Yeah, my dad retired. Yeah. So does that mean that construction business is done for you guys? No, no. My, my dad retired uh, as a consultant. And we had a consulting company. So we moved, we moved, we moved from construction management into consulting. Um, so, so after that job, that Paddock Basin job, and a few other monsters, I left and I went and, and I, did a con- I started a consulting company. Oh, wow. And so I was able to bring my dad on with me. And we did some really good stuff. We, did, we, did, we worked with NIPA. We did Rikers Island co-generation facility. I did a bunch of buildings at Brookhaven National Lab. Some really awesome stuff that I can't even talk about. Wow. And, uh, and then he retired from that business, and, and uh, Eldor was a client of mine as a consultant. And, uh, you know, then they, they brought me in-house after, after some time. And then, and then that's, that's how you met me. I was already C-suite at Eldor. What were you doing there? Uh, I, I came in as a contract negotiator, risk mitigator, and I did all the contracts, and I did all the schedules on the, on the construction. When I met you, you were doing a $50 million housing project. Too. Well, that, that was different. That's, that's an investment portion of my life and, and what we do. So that was a private equity deal. Yeah, two, $2 billion in construction, $50 million apartment buildings. You're yeah. right. Just different, different. They're cousins. Yeah, like, you know, everyday stuff, right? Yeah, yeah, right. Like, you know, I, I have a hot dog stand, and I make hamburgers. Yeah. Yeah, basically. Really? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, you know this. So what do you think, Skyla? Two billion in construction, and then I make a, <laughs> then I buy apartment buildings. Okay, so you yeah from as the as the, you know the investment arm, the investment part of what you do on the apartment side, the multifamily stuff, is it was a natural outgrowth of the fact that you like real estate and you're building stuff. I mean, how did you decide to get into real estate? Yeah, it's, well, I I decided to get into real estate because of the investment value. I'm not a real estate guy. Like, I'm not a person who wants to get in a car and shop real estate on a Sunday. Hmm. There's a lot of other things I'd rather do. To me, you were. I mean, you were flying to Europe, raising capital. Well, that's I like doing that. Yeah, I like doing deals and negotiating. I want find me the the deal. I'll get the money for it. I don't want to go hunting for deals. Right. So, 
it was, it, you know, it was an extension. I, I could see that I'm, I could be in control of my own destiny on an investment perspective using the skills that I have. So there's a lot of people that talk about sales training. And you can buy the modules and stuff like this. But I've seen Marshall as someone that does it. And Marshall, I've seen you actually help your clients close deals. Yeah. Get on one-on-one calls with them. Yes. When did you start doing that where you were like, hey, you know, and a lot of times, by the way, it looks like to me you're calling out reality to these guys, like get on the phone, right? Oh, so that's one of your messages. Don't don't give me the excuse, get on the phone. Yeah, right? just do it, man. But when did you start helping people actually close deals? Yeah, I would say probably two years ago. So, uh, a guy came, reached out to me on Instagram, and I decided to, I said, you know what, let's do it. I think it'll be fun. I'll, I'll coach you. So, you know, after, you know when, I, when I would get home from the office, then I'd go on online and we'd have a FaceTime and then I would coach him and, and I helped him out. And I, I liked it. I said, well, you know, this is really something that I can do. Can, can the average guy afford to hire you as a consultant? I mean, do, do not you really, coach? No. No? no. not Not the average guy. The average guy. We yeah. know. Like what, uh, pr- what kind probably of, not. What kind, where does point. their business need to be before you can help them? Well, it depends, it, it depends on, uh, on how much they want to invest in their business their business and their skill i will say this as from a consultant perspective contractors need me i could change their their whole business right you can change their you can change their business i've seen no that question about i've it. seen some of your loyal followers who basically are contractors you're helping yes absolutely right they're pretty I, I loyal love, i love yeah I, I do have a very loyal following i must say right. they're great guys i love contractors i love that business it, it, it's, it's, it's very congruent with my personality. Um, but on the sales and negotiation end, it's, it, it's got to be, you know, you know, somebody who wants to take their game to the next level and, and can, uh, you know, afford it. What I meant by earlier about cliches and maybe sales training is that people can tell you, like, in you know, the whole how you sell this pen thing and all this. Yeah. I get all that stuff. How do you sell me this pen. Yeah. But you actually do it a different way. You not only teach people how to sell – but you know what you're selling. You know what should be in contracts. You know what should not be in contracts. Yes. Where did you get that part of it? See, what I like about you, I've been thinking about this a long time. I was hoping we would do this interview. Is it appears to me you don't fake it till you make it. Right. Whereas a lot of people I talk to that want to do sales training are high level. They're not maybe they made it already, but they're kind of faking that they know what you're talking about. Yeah, sure. But you seem to know actually what to do, like what to look out for. Yeah, Where'd yeah. that come from? Just well, all the battling in the trenches? Yeah, it came from doing, like I learned all the lessons in the marketplace. Right. You know, I, I had a great mentor. I, w- I want to say this while I have the opportunity here. I had a great mentor with my father, mm-hmm. very strong guy, and I watched him in action, and I learned. Did you say he was a bulldog? What did you say He's about He's a bulldog. He said he was like a He's a general, strong guy, like General, a general Patton. Patton. Yeah, right, yeah. Right. General Patton, he, that's, his, that's his main guy. He loves General Patton. Hmm. He he's a very strong guy. He's a fair guy. He's a fair guy, but he's a tough guy. And I I, I recall we don't have to get deeply into this, but I, yeah. do I recall you're an only child? I'm I'm an only child with him. Yes, with him. I have two half sisters. You have two half sisters. Yeah, right. So he was pretty strong willed with you a little bit. Very right. Pretty is an understatement. Is that? Yeah. yeah. The, listen, in, in the in the New York City construction world, at that level, everybody knows Robert Wilkinson, and and they call him the Monster Man. Really? Yeah. So when I got into business, they'd say, you're Wilkinson's kid? And I'd go, yeah. And they're like, oh, tell Monster Man, you know, I send my regards. 
You don't get a nickname Monster Man for being a, <laughs> a low-key guy. You know? I like that a lot. But I, I'll also say that I learned, I learned from all of the guys who came before me. I will, I will say this, is, is that I was allowed and afforded an opportunity and a lane. I wasn't, I wasn't suppressed. The older guys that were ahead of me saw I had a skill and a talent that maybe they didn't. These guys are great builders. They can look at a, a set of drawings and they, I mean, they have a, a massive skill in that. I don't have that as much as they do. But I have salesmanship, which they, they lacked. And they saw that the, the way the world was, tr was changing was really more of a mitigating risk rather than building the thing. That's the world now because the, the values are so high. It's really, can you stay on schedule and how do you negotiate this thing? Mitigate our risk. And how do you negotiate change orders? when there's design changes, mm. field conditions, et cetera. And they saw that I shined there, and they gave me opportunity to grow, that I wasn't suppressed. So I, I think it was a very unique uh, and peculiar experience that I had compared to most other people in that business uh, who were of my age. Did you uh, build your net worth, you think, in construction or in Bitcoin? Uh, well, I, had, I made the money in construction to be able to to hit a home run in Bitcoin, <laughs> you know? Yeah, I got I you. Mean, I, I, you got to have the dough to make the you dough. You got to have the right. dough. I mean, I earned in construction. Mm. And then, you know, your investments are what make you wealthy. Right. You're a big believer there, huh? Yeah. You're I'm, long a lot of Bitcoin. Very big believer. Right. Yeah. So you're a Bitcoin guy. And yeah. You basically decided, I love Bitcoin at 22000 And you bought Bitcoin. And you've been pretty convicted on that. Yeah. I kind of like the way your mind thinks about it. You're pretty, uh, I mean, clearly whatever you learned about investments and construction and negotiation and sales have spilled over into other areas. Where'd you learn to invest? It's a great question. Um, I, I learned to invest by watching wealthy people invest. Really? Yeah, I, I was able to, listen, uh, you know, at that level, contractors that have family businesses, these are wealthy guys. Uh-huh. And they have to preserve their wealth because they need a war chest. So I learned about, you know, I learned firsthand about having money and, and how to keep it and grow it and not get it stolen from you vis-a-vis -vis inflation. I don't want to ever forget that because I've been wondering about the war chest I have. Yeah. And I think I told you this story that I made a mistake in 2008 and I lent to a developer some money. And thinking they were going to get an SBA loan and pay me back, and they couldn't do it for years. Yeah. And I gave up my war chest to be able to trade. Could never make a living after that for a bunch of years. It was a huge it's a mistake. Mistake. It was a major, major, major mistake. Yes. Like when I called you up to buy some of your Bitcoin, I wanted to buy get long Bitcoin at thirty-two thousand. Yeah. And I knew you had some. I was like Marshall, can you sell me some Bitcoin? Yeah. And you said, uh, "I'll call you back." I'll call you back. Yeah. And. And that call never happened, actually. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You never I didn't me want to offend you, man. You didn't want to be rude. Yeah. But I'm not selling you any of my Bitcoin. Because yeah. I needed to buy quantity. Like, I wanted I to buy, like, a few million dollars worth. And you had it. And you wouldn't sell it. Right. Which is smart of you. Thank you. You don't want to give up that war chest. No. Right? You need a war chest, and you use it for war. So, like, the reason why we have the war chest is when we are put... Our backs against the wall. Many times in this business, what will happen is we'll start on a project. Wow, wow, wow. You need a war chest, and you use it for war. Yeah, you do. You need the money when you need it. 
And that's what it's all about. So in, in our business, many times we start on a project and the designs change. In a very complex design environment, you would imagine that not everything is going to be perfect out the gate, right? Mm -hmm. So sometimes I have a lot of money in the street and I can't collect my money because I'm waiting for a design change to get approved, right? So I'm, I'm talking millions and, and I've already paid. Material men, suppliers, union, right? So, you know, we need an, a war chest to tap into so we can continue to stay liquid. We have capital to continue funding the rest of our projects. So uh, I learned that firsthand, the power of making the money you have currently grow. The power of not losing what you currently have and growing it. A war chest for war. A war chest for war, yeah. See, here, I'm never, ever, ever going to forget that. And it good. may be very simple. But I think it. I think it literally. You just helped define something that I've not been able to figure out for about fifteen years. Is what happened to me in two thousand eight and two thousand nine, and the choices I made is I did not keep capital reserves right. to have that war chest for war when I needed it. Exactly. Now I have capital reserves. I need a war chest for war. It's just a few words that help me understand. Yeah. Because I can never explain it to people. Like, you know, I blew it, kind of, you know? Yeah. Now, things are wonderful now. Yes. But I got a I war chest. That. That's great. You right? need a, Yeah. You, how about this? Grow it. Oh, it's growing. Good. Yeah. Good. But a war chest. You need a war chest. See, construction is very much like an army. You mobilize men on site. The men do the work. You have the generals. I mean, in our office, our conference rooms were called war rooms. Right on the side. So we'd have War Room 1, War Room 2. Don't you just like this guy a lot? It's very much I'm, I'm like talking that. to the audience and you at the same time. <laughs> I appreciate that. I, I, so I really do that's believe, why we think I believe that way. You're, like an, uh, you're a polished gem that no one gets to see that often. You're not out there in the universe. You don't no. put yourself out for hire. You don't do group interviews. You don't let people... You don't do group training. No. Um, you, you do have training software, though, right? No, well, I have. A, I I invested in a database which allows me to house some of my audio and digital thoughts and trainings on on the matters, but just for my uh, on sales, but just for for my existing clients. Like that doesn't get sold. The real Mark, real Marshall Wil Wilkerson, Wilkinson. Yes. Dot com, or is it a, no, a, uh, at Instagram? Uh, MarshallWilkinson.com is my site. Right. Uh, but real Marshall Wilkinson on Instagram. And you could find me on YouTube as well. Nice. Yeah. You just kind of started on YouTube, right? Yeah, I just started. Why Why the major switch? Because I saw that. You want to be on YouTube. I think YouTube is I think YouTube is just a better platform for what I want to do and get my message out. Training? No, no. I, I Yeah, I want to give away. I want to give away my experience, what I've learned, my skill. I want to give that away free to the world. And I think YouTube is the platform, not not Instagram or any of the other ones. Is it, Instagram's really not long format? When they go to IGTV, it's longer. Yeah, well, Instagram doesn't have any organic clunky. growth. I mean, uh, when I go live on Instagram or I post something, the only people that see it are the people that follow me. On YouTube, that's not the case. I could pop up on anybody's screen at any time on the sidebar. So new people can find out who I am. On Instagram, they can't find, they don't find me out. I'm not promoted by Instagram. They don't promote my page. Yeah, hashtags. The only other way would be hashtags, but I don't, I don't, at least the ones I use aren't effective. I haven't cracked that code. What's the deal or, or a deal or a type of deal 
or something you did that was a major mistake where you go, I, I, here's what I had to learn from. It was a major mistake. I have to think about that. Really? Yeah. No major mistakes by you? I, I'm not perfect, but I haven't, when it comes to mitigating risk and negotiating a deal, right. I haven't really messed up. And that's because you're into the contract. We talked about force majeure. Yes. You're, you, with COVID and what recently happened, we talked to the audience about force majeure and the kind of things you like to see in your contracts. Well, you definitely need a force majeure clause in your contract. Right. You have to, you have to afford yourself an opportunity to back out if it's no good anymore. Or, or if something happens that's outside of your control, you can't, you can't, you cannot sign away your rights to something that you can't control. I thought I saw, you know, um, when during the COVID crisis, Tiffany was bought, being bought by LVMH. Yeah, and they declared a MAC or a force majeure, a kind of an act of God. Yeah, to get out of the contract. Later on, they used it and they renegotiate, and they think they got the deal done, but. But this is a pretty big deal, right? This is an act of God type of thing, right? Big time. And you see people today even not having those in, the, in their contracts? Yes. Yes, I do. And, and It's a shame. Are there other things in the contracts that are critical that you think, like, or, you Absolutely, know, maybe yeah. kind of high-level things that you would never not have in your contracts? I would never not have a force majeure clause. Um, I would never not have a notice requirement clause in my contract. So... So if, if, if there's something that is going wrong on a job, I'm um, being delayed, or in anything, any, any sort of contract you might have in life, I, wanna, I, I need the rights to say that I noticed you in a timely manner of it in writing so you know that we, I have a dispute here. There's an issue of uh -huh. sorts. And I did it in a timely manner, and I'm expected a response from you within a timely manner. If I don't, as outlined in the contract, and if I don't receive that from you, and you and you break the notice requirements of the contract, you breach them, right? Then I have my right to remedy, and you 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 necessarily don't. You're time barred. So what you say about uh, notice requirements? What do you mean, example? Because I, I I know that like I have in my contract that if if they want to default me, they have to give yeah. me a time to cure. Yes, it's called a notice to cure. Right. So, yeah. So if, if they're going to default you, they have to send you a notice to cure. You have 72 hours to, to cure the condition. Sure. And then if you don't, then, then you get a termination. That's, that's typically how that works on a default. Right. Um, yeah, I would negotiate that as well. I'd say a notice to cure, but it ain't 72 hours, bro. How long is it? It's, as long as I think is reasonable. And then that's what my counter would be. A lot of times you can't do the accounting in 72 hours. Yeah, I know on the deals I do a lot of, I, I give a, I demand almost like a 15-day Yeah, cure. you need some time. Because they'll say, you defaulted on this contract, and I'm like, what? How did I do that? Yeah. Well, but did you notice me? See, that's, that's the notice thing, right? You, don't send me a notice to cure if you didn't notice me that I had a condition prior. Right. So if you didn't notice me that I was late, if you didn't, if I, you can't just smack me with a notice, uh, a default, a notice to cure. A condition, right. but you, you got to know. You, so you, you got to let me know what's so, going so on. So I'm clear. You want a notice in the contract? I will definitely. You better notice me and tell me it what's is a, up, my friend. It is a tool of tools, right? Because if you don't meet your notice requirements, then I got you. And if you don't meet your notice requirements, then I don't have the obligation. And it works both ways. If I meet my notice requirements and I'm being delayed, on a, let's let's use a construction perspective. 
If I'm being delayed on a project because of another trade is in a room that I need to be in, and I have to pay all my overhead and my guys there that day, et cetera, and I need to notice you, the construction manager, within a certain period of time, and, and it, that condition ain't cured, well, you're going to have to pay me for every day that I, I wasn't working in that room. What am I supposed to do, lose money on it? Where have you been most of my life? Yeah, yeah. Well, that's I knew, the, I, knew, that's I, the I, knew I liked game. you as soon as I met you, man. This is great stuff. So if you, uh, you said to me one time, you said, if you sign a contract someone sends over to you, you said it really elegantly. If you sign a contract someone sends over to you, what? That basically that first contract has everything that they're gonna yeah they're gonna hook you with anyone who sends you a contract okay is just hoping you sign it you always have to think of that the person who's sending it out is the person who has who has their interest in that contract it's lopsided towards them it's usually barbed at least at least go even if it's not go into it thinking that it is to protect yourself right so you think all contracts should be redlined absolutely every contract even if I have to I will redline every contract. Even if it's something that's just minute, I, still, I, I will still redline it. I need them to know that I'm a competent party and I take what I do very seriously. And I'm not just going to sign something that you send over to me, man. Hmm. If I send out a contract to a subcontractor, that contract is lopsided in my favor. No, no, no question about it. Right. And you'd be surprised how many subcontractors just want the work and sign the contract. Knowing know what you know today, would you be a contractor again? Um, Would you do it again if that was your like if you had a choice? If, if I had a choice, it, it's hard to say because it it's it's really the only thing I know. I know, but is there something you always wanted to do, like be a baseball player? Or? No, no. I, if I honestly, I'd probably be uh, like you. What do you mean, like me? I'd be like a Wall Street guy. Well, you kind of are in a well, sense, well, right? in a sense uh, that I can raise capital. I understand financial markets, and I and I have a real estate side to sure. me. But I mean, I would love to be a master of the universe. I think I could. I would think I would kill in a hedge fund game, like making it, trading it, using you having your own hedge fund. Yeah, I mm -hmm. think I, I think I do great with that. Huh. I just never had that opportunity. And but you raised and done millions, billions of dollars well, with I've, the deals. I've raised right? money for real estate, right? Okay, and I get and I've raised money for construction, but never, never as like a you know a registered representative, securities. Yeah, that that to me sounds really cool. <laughs> I'm no longer a broker. I was a broker for 20 years before I had a little issue, and and I could go back and be one again if I wanted to. Just, yeah, you could. But I never never wanted to be a broker after that because I always wanted to be the principal on the deals. The brokers are taking a commission, whereas you being a principal, like a hedge fund manager, yeah, you that's need, a different deal. You don't need a license for that. Yeah. Um, what you need is smarts and the ability to raise capital and the ability to have a good accounting staff. Sounds like you could organize people. I bet you'd be a good manager. Definitely. You guys seem to have an eye, an eye for the markets, right? Yeah. What brought, what brought you to the Bitcoin trade? Because you really did go all in on this trade. I did, yeah. Well, I, I, I easily recognized the macro environment after COVID. Okay. Uh, everything dried up, so that's scary. Right. Especially in the real estate world at that period of time. And uh, I knew I had to do something with, with money, with the money that I had. You said to me, though, that the that Bitcoin allows you for the government to do – it's a pretty interesting comment. Well, it's true. I mean, I mean, that's, what I, that's why I, I love Bitcoin. Like you said earlier that I love Bitcoin at 22000 That's not true. I just, I just figured out what Bitcoin was when it was at 22000 Oh, okay. Got it. You know, like it, it, if I found out what it was earlier, I'd be, I would have been all over it. Yeah, Bitcoin is a decentral – it's the world's first – you know, self-clearing bearer instrument. 
Think about it. Right. And it, it's decentralized, and it, it can't be debased. So a politician can't steal your wealth. That's powerful. Yeah. A politician can't steal your wealth. Correct. But yet, we know today that we're going to date this the interview. Yeah. We know that China today banned financial institutions from owning and trading in Bitcoin. Correct. Or is it cryptocurrency in general? It's crypto, yeah. Right. So aren't they, in effect, making it so that people would want to own Bitcoin? Well, they're, what they're doing is they're depriving their citizenry of the, of the human right of preserving their own wealth. Financial independence. Correct. China debases its currency like it changes its underwear. And that affects the people, the wealth of the people. So if you, if you disallow them from owning, owning an instrument that preserves your wealth, uh, I mean, that's communism. And the Chinese are communists. You make the strongest. I, I listen to the Winklevi. Yeah. Uh, Gemini trading, yep. Gemini trust, whatever. Yep. I've listened to them, and I never heard the argument put so well as you do it. You really do make it really easy to understand that there's a finite amount of Bitcoin. Correct. And the government can't take it away from you. Right. Um, and they can't debase it. They can't debase it, they, right? It's not a digital. So when they when these central banks come up with their own crypto, right. it's just like fiat. It's just going to be a digital entry somewhere. The right. beauty of Bitcoin is it has a baked in diminishing supply, right? And it cannot be debased. I mean, if there ever was an asset you'd want to own, that'd be it. Wow. So uh, from a macro level, it just seemed perfect for me. And I where do you think it's going? I mean, I know today it's, it's around. Let's call it thirty-eight to forty thousand. Yeah, it was sixty thousand a few weeks ago. It's volatile. We know that. Yep. It kind of had a flash crash today because of a combination of Elon Musk and the Chinese. Yep. Um, but what do you what do you think the target is here? Um, I, I know Tim Draper. He uh, Tim Draper is a guy I follow, and I have a friend that's personal friends with him. Yeah. And he thinks it's going to a quarter of a quarter of a million dollars a coin. Yeah, I agree. Well, if not north. Wow. Over time. When you have a halving cycle, you know, when I'm an older gentleman mm -hmm. and, and that, that diminishing supply really starts to kick in, right? Um, I think you're going to see it north of 250. Sure. Wow. And do you think it matters where it trades because you just trade in a fractional Bitcoin? No, I don't. Well, so you don't know, they shouldn't split it or something, forward split it? No, no. I mean, you could, you could buy Satoshis. You could buy fractional. You could buy $10 worth of Bitcoin right now. Right. You could buy a dollar worth. I know you can. It just seems like yeah. a little weird that it's such a... Well, that's what makes it great. It's a 21st century technology that's easily divisible, where a Bronze Age technology store, store of value like gold is not easily divisible. <laughs> right? So this allows, for, this allows for people of all, um, you know, of all socioeconomic levels to participate. What do you think of it relative to uh, Ethereum? I think Ethereum's great. I think it's it's just it's different. Ethereum does not have a, a baked in diminishing supply. Yeah, you got to just buy more gas, right? More yeah, ether. Yeah. So, but Ethereum is you know it, it's a it's a it's a massive tool for the ecosystem, crypto ecosystem. So I, I like it, and I think it's uh, I think that you know in time is going to be a twenty thirty thousand dollar coin. So when you see Ethereum and you see Bitcoin. You see Bitcoin be staying in the standard of sort of stored value? Yes, I do. It's totally different. It's a financial, it's an electric, it's an electric financial rail work. It's not, it's so dynamic. It's more than just a currency. You plug into it. 
companies can plug into the Bitcoin network and change their entire, you know, change their entire treasury model. I mean, here's the problem that corporations have today. If you have cash, you're sitting on a, a, a melting ice cube. <laughs> okay, so, so in order to deliver you know, the best value back to your shareholders, you have an obligation to make sure that that money you have doesn't diminish, go to zero. If the cost of capital is around 8% for the past decade, the S&P, last year it's 25%, mm-hmm. the hurdle rate. So if you, if you grow at 2 or 3% a year, I mean, in three years you've halved your wealth if we continue to grow it, if we continue to have inflation at that, at that rate, not right. the government inflation, hard asset inflation. So, you know, to me, it seems like it's one of the, it, it's a perfect vehicle for corporations to put on their balance sheet and change their treasury policy. It's a great, it's a great financial network. It's freedom for people in the Congo and in Venezuela. For sure in Venezuela, yeah. And in China. What so do you it's make so of, dynamic. What do you make of... of Buffett or a monger calling it rat poison is just age an age issue with him. I don't know what it is. I mean, uh, listen, people have come to me to talk to to talk to me about Bitcoin before, and I just I poo pooed it. I shoot them off. I'm I'm doing deals. I'm I'm a real estate guy. Yeah, man, I'm snapping next casting checks. Right. You know, uh, it took it took a massive momentum breaker called COVID nineteen for me to slow down and give this thing a look, mm-hmm. and actually do an accounting on macro. So I don't know. You know, it, it's it's very tough for a guy like that who's made who's been extremely successful doing a certain thing mm-hmm. to adopt such a revolutionary thing. Yeah, because they say it's not backed by anything, but it's backed by the people. The same way the dollar is. You know, we accept the dollar as currency. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, it's 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 it is. I mean, it's it's backed by it's it's backed by that entire crypto network. Well, the network has to pay the money to do the the mining. Yeah, but I mean. But the idea of that network and what it's going to do for humanity. I mean, what's happening now with Bitcoin and Musk is I think he's quite obviously shoehorning the miners into using renewable energy and clean source of energy to mine. Right now, Bitcoin is the best use of energy on the planet. If, you're gonna, if you get paid in Bitcoin at $40,000 a coin, it's the best use of energy. What else pays you like that? in correlation to the energy that you burned. Nothing. By the way, the freedom that you provide to people to preserve their wealth. So miners and... So miners and investors, I think, are going to see... Heed the call, recognize what's happening today, and they're going to lead the charge in a clean energy revolution, I believe. Hydro. Right now, miners are remote. Most miners are remote. Sure. And... And I think that miners, if they can find streams, waterfalls, hydro, they'll, they'll create a clean energy revolution. Bitcoin will be the driver, the catalyst. And I think that that's what Musk is trying to shoehorn right now. And, and, and I think he's basically saying, let's take our medicine now. You know, today he tweeted out, uh, Tesla has diamond hands. Yeah, that means he's holding. Yeah. Yeah, see, I didn't get mad at him when he did it because Elon Musk is a macro guy. He's moving our, our species forward. So I don't think he was he's trying to hurt the market. I don't think he's trying to kill Bitcoin. You have to kind of pull yourself up to a thirty thousand foot why, level to see. Yeah, it. but why not let people pay for it in Bitcoin? Pay for a Tesla. Yeah, well, I mean, he's he's like I said, it's a shoehorn. Hmm. He's forcing a hand. I think so. By the way, he benefits from that massively, not just in Bitcoin, but he sells electric cars. 
He benefits from a clean energy revolution. Why does Nancy Pelosi own calls in Tesla? Why, why would you think that'd be the case? There's no more insider than her, right? So, right. so you know, it's a clean energy thing that's going to happen here. And I think he's smart enough to know that Bitcoin could be the catalyst for it. That's how dynamic it is. You can't do that with gold, man. You can't do that with a Bronze Age metal. You can do it in a 2021 electrical, electrical engineer, computer scientist designed thing. And that's what Bitcoin is. It's an AI super soldier for wealth. No, listen, we live in a time of extremes. The markets are extreme. Politics are extreme. Social stuff is extreme. Our, our markets, especially crypto, it's, it's extreme. If you, have you noticed that? Everything's extreme. It is extreme, isn't There's it? There's no moderation anywhere. And, they either, and even on social media, they either hate you or love you. That's it. It's extreme. There's nothing in between. All extreme. We live in a world of extreme, extremes. So, you know, that doesn't phase me at all. But what, what, it, what should be very impressive is its resilience. It can't be killed. Hmm. You think it's dead and it comes right back. They can tax it, but you don't think they can kill it. No, they can't kill it. It can't be killed. It's decentralized and it's an idea and it's freedom, man. You know, I know it sounds, it sounds funny, but it's true when you think about it. If, you, if, you, if people knew the asset that they actually held, they'd never sell it. You have, you have a way of monetizing it, though. You, you actually lend it out, right? Yeah. Can you, can you actually make money there? Do you feel comfortable and safe that you're getting paid your money there? Yeah, I have been, yeah. I feel comfortable. Hmm. Do you make enough where it matters that you're lending it out or no? Um, well, I mean, the, other, only, the only other alternative is it just sits in a cold storage wallet and does nothing. I was mesmerized because I think for Christmas you sent me fifty bucks. I sent yeah in Bitcoin, and like a couple months later, it was like it was it was like double or yeah, triple. It was, you had like two hundred dollars. It was like crazy. I was like, Marshall sent me fifty bucks for Christmas, and I'm like, what the heck? And yeah. it was in my wallet pretty fast. By oh the way. yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah. yeah. I mean, it was fast. It's it's great. Instead of Christmas cards, I sent Bitcoin to everyone. What people think of that? Uh, some people. Some people just didn't, uh, never even gave me their wallet address. And some people thanked me for, you know, introducing them and, you know, to crossing that hurdle so then they could participate. Bitcoin. Yeah. Right. And then they had a little Bitcoin. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, I got it and kind of re energized me because that account um, had a little, you know, some money in it. And I sold Bitcoin at like 17000 and, you know, wanted to buy some back. And yeah. I think at that time it was around 22, 23. Yeah, and Jason said, oh, I think it's going to pull back. And it ripped all the way up to 30,000. It didn't stop, really. It ripped. I mean, it just kept going and yeah. going and going. Yeah. What do, you think what, uh, what do you think about what Michael Saylor's doing? I love, I love what Michael Saylor's doing. He understands this very well. But he's, I mean, his whole company has become like a crypto play, even though they're a big software player, right? Yeah, big software player. Huh. Yeah, Michael Saylor understands what Bitcoin is. Really? Absolutely. He understands its power. And I think that he, he's willing to do whatever it takes to own as much of it as he can. Do you think people should pay for things with it, though? It seems like not really the thing. Well, you don't have to. You don't know, have but, to. But you see networks say we accept Bitcoin. Yeah. Someone bought a pizza. You know, they, you, know you can buy stuff on Overstock. and Sure. But do you think people should really be using it as that kind of currency? Well, I wouldn't be because I don't, I don't want to ever spend it. I want to continue to accumulate it and and only use it when I need it. So, so like a retirement thing? Yeah, retirement, security, freedom. 
I mean, listen, I, I, I really think that if you if you're not in, if you don't own assets that appreciate and and you're going to be in, you're going to be in a lot of trouble. Mm. I mean, how could you not be if you if you if you worked a job and your cost of living increase was anything less than eight percent a year, you were losing money every year. Yes. The S&P, the S&P increased by eight percent a year. The markets dictate asset prices. Right. So. I mean, as you know, so, you know. I see people talking about a, a million-dollar coin price. Yeah, I think eventually we'll get there. I just, because, I, I just don't want to say it to blow people out of the Because there's a finite amount of them. That Correct. You, eventually, it's a million bucks a coin. I, I mean, listen. I mean, wouldn't you want to own a Rembrandt? It's one of them. I mean, the value is in the fact that it, that it has a diminished supply. The value think, is that it's running the, out. The whole MFT, NFT craze. I think it's good. I think it's NFT is an authenticator for digital goods. I, I love what's happening in this space because an ecosystem is being created by young, sharp entrepreneurs that are going to buttress the environment. You got to remember, we're not going backwards. I mean, what what did we? The entire two thousands was the digitization of everything physical in our lives. And, and in 2001 and 2002, people didn't see the light, but they started seeing it around 2006, 7, and 8. I mean, we took just, – just think of what Apple did with books. A book would be written, and then it would be printed, and then it would have to get put in a box and sent to a store, then put on a shelf. All the energy, the friction in that, in that particular product was taken – and digitized, and I have the best books in the world in something that's this thin called an iPad. It's been the digitization of all of our at atomic world. We're not, it's not like we're going backwards. You know what I mean? We're only going forwards. Mm. You know, we're not going back to an 8-track. So I think we're going to do the same with, with, our with our financial system. So what do you think about commodities then? I mean, you're an investor... Building real estate projects, needing yes. iron, copper, steel products. Where where do you I'm, fall? Where I'm, do you fall into the commodities? I'm extremely sector? bullish on commodities. See, I'm I'm bullish on commodities. I'm bullish on oil and gas, precious metals, and crypto. But crypto has had the greatest alpha out of them all, and so that's why I was there. Mm. I'm looking for alpha on my money. But uh, you know, I think you're gonna you're gonna see an increase in in all of those sectors. Wow. I mean, they're inflation hedges. I mean, look at the construction costs right now. Construction material costs are through the roof. Try to buy lumber. I, rem I remember when lumber was a two by four was you know a dollar five. It's it's ten bucks now. Really? Yeah. Go to go to Home Depot. It's you know nine ninety seven for a two by four. Douglas for a two by four. So so because of this, we cannot build homes fast enough. To satiate the demand in the Sun Belt from people from so the mass about, exodus from what the about manufactured homes? Will they use more steel? Manufactured homes, yes, they're going to use tin. They're going to use sheet metal. Really? Uh, definitely. Like the free kind of stuff I'm talking about? Yeah, no question. That's all going to be. That's that's not going to be wood studs. That's going to be steel studs. Just like just like you do now in New York, you can't build with wood studs in New York. It's all tin. It's all sheet metal. Really? Yeah. Why gonna, is that? Uh, fire. So you like the you like commodities. Let's talk about sales. Let's do you, it. You're, you're, trading, you're, you're training people on sales now. To me, sales, if you learn a sale, good sales skill, you'll always have a job. That's my opinion. Sure. I agree. Um, do, you think, do you think the modern-day salesman is dead, or do you think they're alive? No, they're alive. I mean, there, is there a lot more door-to-door -door left? 
door to door? Just the, the kind of modern day kind of, I'm a sales guy, professional sales guy. Yeah. I mean, are they there now with yeah. all these emails and I texted you, I asked, I, I get, I get salespeople we've hired. Uh, yeah. I, I, I texted him, sent him an email. I'm like, that's not selling. Dude, get on the phone. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's, that's an interesting point. I, well, there's definitely a proliferation of that. I sent a guy a text. I sent him an email. Right. Um, I, I mean, I, I one time had been talking to my son who's dating a girl. Yeah. And I said, well, how often do you, you know, wh what's your interaction with? Like, oh, we, we're, we talk every day. And I said, oh, really? And then they, and they had like a little breakup. And I said, how do you talk to someone every day and then veer off course so quickly? Mm. I, said, I said, did you actually talk to her? Oh, no, I haven't spoken to her in two months. It's text. It's text. I'm like, yeah. you cannot have a relationship by text. It doesn't yeah. mean anything. No, you got to pick up the That's phone. That's just complete nonsense. Yeah, yeah. You got to pick up the phone. You need to make the connection. You know, I'm kind of old school with that because there was a time and place where you and I didn't speak for a few months. I'm like, hey, dude, is everything okay? Because I'm like, yeah. used to hearing your voice. It's true. I don't like it. Yeah. I don't like this whole, like, I only speak by text. But I get it now. It's kind of a modern day thing, right? Yeah. So that's why I ask you, is the modern salesman gone or is there still a bit room for that person? Well, I don't think he's gone. Uh, he you know she. they've been trying to block. You, you can't use the phone. Yeah. Non-call list. Uh, you know, do not disturb. I mean, you got all this craziness where yeah. you can't, you're not allowed to ever be disturbed by a salesman. No, I know. Well, so, yeah, it makes it more difficult. And I think people are, they're going to go to the easiest path. The path of less resistance is going to be sending a guy a text and picking up a phone and mm -hmm. making a connection. But you know, it's it, maybe it's not maybe it's not in products and services. But I think that there are some really great consummate salesmen in other arenas, like politics. Those people are salesmen. Uh, you know, the people on TV are salesmen. So I think the the salesman is here. He's never going to go anywhere. This the way they do it is differently. Is different. You know, right? The reason why they they're afraid of a salesman is because they know that they can be sold. It's a it's a fear thing, right? And so you know, I mean, I, you, something's happening because Skyla, who who is my niece who lives with us, or my wife, there's an Amazon package every yeah. day. Yeah, come on. Someone's selling them something. Sure. Every day. D Are they just being sold digitally? Well, I'm, nobody's immune to being sold. And I mm. say that to all my guys. I don't care how rich the guy is that you call the family office to raise money for the deal. No one is immune to being sold. So people, so this the modern day salesman. May have to do a little bit of tweaking. Yeah. But it still exists. No question. I mean, if your job is I have a Shopify store, then, you know, that's all copywriting and digital marketing. Sure. But, I mean, if you're going to put a, a building in the air, that's, man, that's mano y mano. That's right. never going to change. Right. You know, if you're, gonna, if you're an attorney or, you know, you're raising money, right. that's not done via an ad on Facebook. Got we got to make a connection. Wow. I don't think that's going anywhere. Right, you're trading modern. So how many uh, how many individuals do you train a week now? Like, what do you like to? What's the optimal number? Well, for Well, right now I have I I train three a week. Wow. It's yeah, that's a lot. It's even a lot. I mean, there was a time though now. you were doing. I remember oh, I was, it was eight hours a day. Yeah, no, I I was doing like maybe fifteen people a week. Wow. Yeah, I scaled it back tremendously because it it's just an unsustainable model the way I had it. So three three select guys that I like working with. Do you think a person can become a salesman, or are they, are they born a salesman? It's a great question. That's the question, isn't it? Yep. That's the question. I'm can gonna, they become a salesman? I'm going to... 
Well, let me put it to you this way. I think anybody can become the salesman. It just depends on where you are now, the timing. Mm. There are guys that I train. They have all of the technical info I've given them on how to do a deal, how to influence a person, break a psychology. Mm-hmm. Okay? But there's an intangible thing that I'm not saying they don't have, but the current iteration of them now doesn't have. Right. So maybe they'll be motivated in the future and then they could put all the pieces together. I, don't, I, I never want to be a person to tell somebody else what they can and can't do. I don't know anyone's potential, and you don't know mine, right? So I can't tell you what your potential is. You, you know, you need to show the world what it is. If, uh, if I wanted to become a salesman or if I, my son wanted to become a salesman, yeah. well, what, what, what would be the, the sales position thing you'd want them to sell now? What's the, like, to, me, to you yeah. kind of the best sales job now? Um, I think right now I think real estate is still a great – Sales job. That's a Being sales like a career. broker, an agent? Well, no, not even that. Syndicating deals. Ooh. Raising money. That's all sales. All of it's sales. Right. Um, I think that, that, that there's a lot of opportunity there. I don't, and obviously, I think if you can raise capital for securities in, in, in the financial markets, that's still the way to go. Um, so you actually think becoming a broker, maybe? Well, yeah, or, you know, or if you are. Or a modern day syndicator. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, like you know, buying real estate, syndicating it. Or if you could team up with a with a with some an analyst or a trader, and you can raise capital and build your own fund, that would be great. And you don't well, necessarily have to be the ideas guy; you're just the capital guy. I mean, I mean, I, I mean, how that's extremely rewarding. Wow. You know, I could see. Wow. I, mean, I also think that crypto. They're going to need. They need salespeople, uh, and they need marketing people to market to the world so people understand what it is. Really? And they need salespeople to sell it to the world, yeah. Hmm. I mean, that's, that's what I love about what Michael Saylor's doing, is he's selling it to the world. People don't understand what it is still, and it needs to be explained and sold to people. We know Elon Musk is a smart guy. He's the Thomas Edison, Thomas Edison of our days, you know, he, our time. He's effectively sent rockets to space, humans to space. Yeah, built things, solar, Tesla, a believer, long energy, yes, long renewable energy, battery life. I think he's a little bit nuts now. I mean, what's going on with that mind of his that he is on Saturday Night Live promoting Dogecoin kind of? I know. I don't know. I, he's an extremely unique person, mm. right? He's definitely one in a, a billion Really, you know, yo, definitely, definitely. Not only have just vast amounts of ideas, but then also the ability to execute on them, and and his wick seems to be ever long. I mean, the guy just burns and burns and burns. He doesn't, he doesn't burn out. Hmm. And he and he and he and he has the guts to double down on everything and and really load up on the thing when he believes in it. I mean, wow. he took all his PayPal money, right? And, and he sure did. So I mean. In the Tesla and SpaceX. In the Tesla, so, you know. Two companies at one time. Yeah. But he's doing, he's a little erratic right now. Seems like it. I, I, don't, I don't know what the play is here with Doge. I think, I think he is obsessed with crypto. I mean, mm. follow his Twitter feed. It's constantly, it's a Doge, it's a bash on Doge or Bitcoin, and he, he vacillates. He goes back and forth. He's got a lot of dough. He's got a lot of dough. If you're that rich, maybe you get, yeah, that's the only thing that keeps you eclectic, right? Maybe. Now he's got six boys, six kids. Yeah. Imagine being a son of Elon Musk. <laughs> Maybe he sees a pitch that we don't see. You know? He might. You know? I don't know. 
But right. I do I do think that he's he's trying to spur a, a green revolution, and I think he can successfully get there with Bitcoin. If people are out there and they want to follow you, who are the people that you follow? Who are the people you pay attention to? I follow Todd Alt. Okay, come on. <laughs> it's true. All right. Uh, I follow Todd Alt. I follow uh, Grant Cardone. Um, I follow Michael Saylor. I follow Elon Musk. Right. I follow Wait, Bradley. What do you think of Grant? I, uh, I think he had a really big influence on me. I, when I read 10X, I was uh, pretty blown away by it. I mean, I was really blown away by 10X. I thought that the book uh, actually spoke to me. Yes. Uh, he said he wrote it for himself. Yes. What do, you, what do you think of that book? I think the book is magic. The 10X book is a magical book. It really is. It brings concepts and ideas that you know, but he puts it in a way where he shakes you up. Right. You know? And, uh, yeah, he's a genius. There's no doubt about it. Yeah, there's something about him that makes him... Yeah. He is a genius when it comes to... who definitely became an incredible marketer. He's definitely a marketing genius. Yeah, he's no a marketing genius for sure. And he's an extremely shrewd businessman. Right. You want to talk about negotiate? I'd love to do... I'd love to negotiate head-to-head -head with him. Tough guy, huh? I think it would be a long process. Wow. Yeah. You do some stuff. I see, I see him on some of your live streams now. Yeah. You guys do some... What do you do together? You just yeah, chat well, about things? Yeah, we chat. We have, a, we have a little bit of a personal relationship. He's a great... He's a, he, he, during COVID, he reached out to me so that I was kind of silent on social. Wanted to make sure I was okay. Uh -huh. So did Elena. I, I talked to her as well. Um, they're, they're, they're good. And for a guy who's so busy, you think I have energy. I mean, he's I know, got he's crazy. He's got so much going on, okay, mm -hmm. and that he still takes time to to speak to people, and you know, I take my hat off to him. I've always been a little bummed. I hired one of his employees at Canada, yeah, and uh, he blocked me. I think Sherry blocked me, but well, he so uh, you know he he wants to win. You want to talk about war chest? He's a guy that'll go to war with you. Uh huh. Yeah, definitely. He, I don't. I think that. Uh, I think he's he's strictly business. Right. You know, I think so. Blocking me though, huh? Yeah, yeah, that, a little that, extreme. Yeah, that hurts. Yeah, I kind of attended all of his stuff, but hey, stuff happens, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, I'm doing my own real estate stuff. Yeah. Maybe I'll do something with you. That'd be great. You know, I'm gonna explain to you real quick. There's a reason for it. <laughs>